be back at Mutley. My name is Jeff, Jeff Lee. I lead the, um, the church at uh, Plymouth Christian Centre down the road. And um, David contacted me a while back and asked me would I come and speak. They didn't tell me what I would be speaking on. Um, but then I, I saw that I was being asked to speak on the subject of why do Christians believe in the supernatural. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight um, for the next while. And if you, well, you do have Bibles with you because they're on your pews. So if you, if you want to grab a Bible, we're going to read a passage from Scripture together. And uh, we're going to read from John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. That's page 1064 in your pew Bibles. This is the story of Jesus' first miracle, recorded first miracle, where Jesus turns water into wine. And we'll read it together. John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where, where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed for a few days. May God speak to us through this part of his word tonight and as we look at this subject together of why do Christians believe in the supernatural? I looked up what supernatural would be defined as in the Oxford English Dictionary before I came and it says that it says attributed to or thought to reveal some force above the laws of nature attributed to or thought to reveal some force above the laws of nature. I was looking on an internet forum recently as I knew how to look at this subject and I found this question asked uh, in this forum. Do 21st century Christians actually believe in the supernatural? Lots of people go to church, but do they actually believe in demons and angels and curses and witches? Aren't the Bible and its rather primitive supernatural concepts totally incompatible with 21st century living? That was um, a fairly loaded question. I think there was an agenda behind it. Um, but 
but surely, uh, in the 21st century, people don't still believe in the supernatural, do they? Uh, rational people, uh, intelligent people, believing in the supernatural, why would they? Everyone has a world view. We all have a view of the world, a lens through which we see the world, a way in which we form our story of the world. Why are we here? How did we get here? Where are we going? Is there a purpose to our lives? Is there a God? Is there a spiritual realm? Is there such a thing as the supernatural? Why would Christians state that there is? Mark uh, Stelter, who's a professor, writes, Millions of Christians find themselves torn between two worlds, the modern world heralded by the Enlightenment and the world of Christianity. This bipolar worldview presents a dichotomy. In one corner stands the world of reason and everything it represents, logic, the scientific method, positivism, objectivism, materialism, reason. And the other corner is the world of faith and everything it represents, dogma, doctrine, subjectivism, superstition, irrationality. This is a popular depiction that you get today. Reason versus religion. Science versus faith. The material versus the supernatural. But as Eric Metaxas writes in his book, entitled Miracles, our culture has so forcefully promoted the idea that faith and science are at odds. But the ironic and virtually unknown reality is that modern science itself was essentially invented by people of Christian faith. All of us, I guess at some point, want to be considered to be fairly educated, rational beings, sophisticated, enlightened. And one of the surest signs of such esteemed status is to reject the medieval world of ignorance, simple-minded faith, thoughtless superstition. Among the telltale signs of such backwardness, some would argue, which is to be avoided at all costs, is the belief in the supernatural. You read again on internet blog posts and comments to newspaper articles about this fairy tale God that you Christians believe in and this fairy tale Bible which is full of myths and fairy tales and only idiots would believe such a thing today. So why, in the rational 21st century, why do Christians believe in the supernatural? Now I've come up with four reasons, and these are not exhaustive um, in any way, they're just four reasons, and you could think maybe of some more, why I think I as a Christian, why we as Christians believe in the supernatural. And I'm going to take you through them tonight. The first reason that I think is absolutely essential, that, 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 supernatural, that the supernatural is an essential element of the Christian faith, is that Christianity is founded on entirely supernatural foundations, on entirely supernatural presuppositions, on an entirely supernatural world view, a view of the world. Christianity is founded on entirely supernatural foundations. We start with the creation. The worldview of Christianity is that there is, obviously, an intelligent designer, a creator God behind the universe. That there is a story, a reason, a purpose for our existence here on this earth. The wonder of creation. I heard David Attenborough say, 
this, this last week, one of the most miraculous things that he has ever seen is a baby, a human baby. And whatever his belief systems are, the fact of a human baby, I've seen two of them born, my two children, and to see them born was one of the most amazing experiences of my life. My wife and I like to watch Call the Midwife. Um, and we sit there and every week we cry as the babies are born in Call the Midwife. As they pull the babies out, it is such a, a miraculous moment, this human birth, the birthing of, of human life. And uh, it, moves, it still moves me very, very deeply. But we believe in a creator God, that is the worldview of Christianity. In the beginning, the very start of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Eric Metaxas, who, who you may have heard of, he's written uh, biographies of Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer and uh, Wilberforce, and more, more recently a book I've just read that was written in 2014, is a book entitled Miracles, in which Eric Metaxas investigates, looks at the miraculous, the supernatural, and its existence today. He writes in his book, he says, science has limits. It can describe the universe of matter and energy, but it cannot account for that universe. Ludwig Wittgenstein said, the great delusion of modernity is that the laws of science explain the universe for us. The laws of nature describe the universe, but they can explain nothing. If we believe, as we do, that God created the universe out of nothing, ex nihilo, to use the Latin phrase, how can we possibly quibble over smaller miracles like Jesus turning water into wine? If we believe that God created the universe, that God spoke into being all things, believing that God could create the universe, but could not perform any infinitely smaller miracle, is illogical. If we believe that God is the creator God, that God created the universe, then it would be illogical to believe that he couldn't do much smaller miracles, whatever they may be, in the 21st century or otherwise. If God actually created this universe, somehow can we not believe that he would be able to do anything else? It seems we would have to. If we can agree, and we may not be able to at this point, but if we can agree with the first words of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, why wouldn't we agree with the innumerable instances in the Bible that follow of God's miraculous and supernatural intervention? If God could speak the universe into existence, could he, could he afterwards not speak into that existence? Consider the two opening paragraphs of John's Gospel in the New Testament, the Gospel from which we've just read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's speaking of Christ, that's speaking of Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. John is referring to Jesus as the Word. He makes the claim that Jesus existed in the beginning with God the Father. He was co-existent, co-eternal, prior to the creation of the world. He further claims that everything that was made was made through Christ and by Christ. 
Finally, he claims that Jesus contains life within him, and in this life is the light of men. In the first two paragraphs of the Gospel of John, we see Jesus presented as the supernatural, eternal creator of the universe and the light of mankind. As Professor John Lennox writes, the more that we get to know about our universe, the more that the hypothesis that there is a creator God who, dis, who, dis, who destined the universe for a purpose gains in credibility as the best explanation of why we are here. Now we don't have time tonight, nor do I have the expertise to go into this much deeper. But there are, of course, books out there, The Case for the Creator by Lee Strobel, which examines across the scientific fields and philosophical fields, the case, argued from all of these different viewpoints, the case for a Creator God. But the point I'm making is that, that Christianity, why do Christians believe in the supernatural? First of all, is, is that Christianity is founded on supernatural foundations. First of all, the creation is the supernatural foundation of Christianity. But let's look beyond that. Let's look at the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The claims concerning the death and the resurrection of Jesus are not merely important to the Christian faith. They are superlatively central, crucial and foundational to the Christian faith. According to the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, if the supernatural resurrection of Jesus Christ did not actually happen, there is nothing more to discuss about Christianity at all. What Paul said was that if Christ was not actually and literally raised from the dead, then Christian faith is useless. If that did not happen, our sins cannot be forgiven and washed away. So the central idea of the Christian faith, that Jesus' death and resurrection fundamentally transforms and redeems each one of us who put our faith in him, evaporates and fails. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, we do not rise from the dead. And death wins. In fact, Paul pointedly says that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, there may be some that say, yes, you Christians are to be pitied, if you believe that nonsense. But what I'm saying tonight is that we, we believe in the death and the resurrection of Christ. This is foundational to the Christian faith. It is a supernatural event. Whether it happened 2,000 years ago or whether it would happen today, we can't explain it away because of the simplistic beliefs of people in the medieval or in former ages. Wherever and however it would happen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if it happens, is a supernatural event. And the fact is, as Paul so clearly explains, is that if it didn't happen, then our Christian faith is useless. It's founded on a lie there is no eternal life, there is no salvation, there is no cleansing of our sins. We might as well jack it all in. So, the first reason that Christians believe in the supernatural is that Christianity is founded on entirely supernatural foundations. From creation, to the cross, to the resurrection. Without the supernatural, there is no Christian faith. So the second reason that Christians believe in the supernatural 
is that the supernatural is an essential element in providing an historically accurate rendering or rendition of Christianity. When I was at school, I remember my primary school teacher, who wasn't a Christian, explaining away the parting of the Red Sea. It was a, there was a, that was a wind and it was a, it was a shallow area of, of that particular area of geography and uh, quietly he explained away the, the, the miracle that we would see of the parting of the Red Sea and of course people would do that or attempt to do that with many areas of Christianity. Well, we can explain that and we can explain the reason for that and there's a logical reason why that is said in the Bible. But, but we have to say that Christianity is a faith, is a religion that is replete with supernatural occurrences, beings and places. The Bible is a story filled with angels and demons, miracles and curses, heaven and hell. The Jesus of the Gospels is a miracle worker. He heals the sick that come to him. He raises the dead. He exercises demons. He is tempted by Satan to rewrite the story of Jesus, as many people have tried to do, some under the name of Christianity, without including these supernatural events and elements, would be like rewriting the history of the United Kingdom and writing out whole swathes of what we know to be historical fact, the First World War, the Second World War, the Prime Ministers that have led us, if we just kind of obliterated elements of our history and said, this is the United Kingdom, this is our history, what we would be faced with would be a lie. And if we take the supernatural out of the story of Christianity, out of the biblical explanation of Christianity, we would be left with a hollow lie. If we look at the Gospels and ask ourselves just how prevalent is the supernatural in the Gospels, could we surgically remove a few stories here and there, cut out a miracle or two, reinterpret two or three parables and still get the same essential story about Jesus and about the beginning of the church and and the Christian faith? Consider just a few of the episodes reported in the Gospel of Matthew. Mary's pregnancy was caused by the Holy Spirit. She was a virgin and she gave birth. An angel appears to Joseph in a dream. A star supernaturally appears over the birthplace of Jesus. Wise men are warned about Herod in a dream. An angel tells Joseph to flee to Egypt. A voice from heaven is heard at the baptism of Jesus. The devil tempts Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus heals sick people again and again and again. And other torments. Jesus calms the sea. He commands the weather. He casts demons out of people. He refers to angels and to demons. He feeds 5,000 people with a minute bit of food. A few loaves of bread and some fish. He is resurrected from the grave. His first miracle here, he turns water into wine. From creation and the explanation of creation and the biblical worldview of creation and why we're here to God's dealings with his covenant people, Israel, to the coming of Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, to the birth of the church and church history and the story of Christianity, it is full of supernatural events. And if you take out the supernatural and, and try and get a, a, a kind of a, a light faith, a, a sense of ethereal spirituality, but without some of these elements, you're, you're left with a story that is full of holes and lies that, 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 that leaves you with, with no faith at all. As Eric Metaxas writes in his book, if we remove the idea of a supernatural God, 
who is free to act in miraculous ways. We fall into the slough of despond inhabited by the scientific naturalists. We essentially remove God himself from the Bible. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, the Oxford professor, rather famously said, when it came to deciding who Jesus was, we really only have three choices. First, we could say he was a liar, that all of the things he said were actually lies. Second, we could say he was not a liar, but a lunatic, so he couldn't be held responsible for saying the things he said. And third, we could say he was actually who he said he was, the Lord of heaven and earth. So secondly then, why Christians believe in the supernatural is that the supernatural is an essential element in providing an historically accurate rendition of Christianity and the Christian faith. Third reason why Christians believe in the supernatural is that the supernatural is essential to the salvation offered by Christianity. If we removed the supernatural from Christianity, we would no longer have a Christian faith. The supernatural is essential to the Christian faith, not only to give an historically accurate rendition, but also a a soteriologically accurate rendition that is to do with salvation, that is to do with the fact that we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ. If we remove the supernatural from our faith, we remove salvation from Christianity. We remove the fact that, that, that Jesus saves people from their sins. We, we remove the very essence of what Christianity is. Christianity does not give us a sublime moral code to improve our earthly lives or our behaviour, to be better people, to realise our inner self, our human potential. Christianity offers eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Christianity is not just how to improve your life. It's it's how to uh, save our eternal souls. Jesus Christ was not some wise ethical philosopher who came out with some nice sayings about loving your neighbour and doing to others as you would have done to yourself. He claimed to be the Lord and the Saviour, the Son of God, God incarnate, who came to save people from their sins, providing salvation to mankind. Those who believe Jesus was on a a, a mission just to preach the virtues of kindness, tolerance and passive resistance are either not familiar with the Gospels or are intentionally distorting the Gospels. In the name of modernizing Jesus, which some people have tried to do, they have removed the most essential principles of the Christian faith, sin and repentance and redemption and salvation and eternal life through belief in Jesus Christ. Man is not the master of the universe. The Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the age of reason, the age of science are not the pinnacle achievements of mankind. Try as we might, hope as we must, our reason, our logic, our science, our technology will not save us. The essential message of Jesus is to turn from ourselves from our selfishness, from our self-aggrandizement, from our self-centeredness, from our self-actualization, to deny ourselves and surrender to the will of God, to surrender to Jesus as our Lord and Master. And this message I will put to you tonight is inescapably supernatural. 
Christianity offers the promise of eternal salvation, eternal life. And the cost is simply to believe in the one who provides that salvation, Jesus. Christian teaching, the Christian worldview, is based on the premise that mankind needs a saviour. This salvation is a supernatural experience. Which brings me to my fourth and final point is that Christians believe in the supernatural because they have experienced it for themselves. They have experienced it in their own lives. For those of us who have encountered Christ, who have become Christians, if we're completely honest with ourselves, if we look deep enough into our own personal story, we will notice the supernatural work of God in us. You know, it's too easy to relevate uh, to, to relegate Jesus to some kind of medieval, m- mythical, fairy tale kind of existence. But we ask ourselves the question how many addictions has he stopped? How many relationships has he healed? How many mindsets has he transformed? How many broken and hopeless lives has he changed into beacons of hope for other people? This is, I would say, the hotbed of the supernatural work of God in people's lives that you don't hear about much on TV, that you won't see on the BBC. This is the multitude of blessings that Jesus continues to work out in people's lives in our day and age that people often overlook. One of my favourite sections of the book by Eric Metaxas on miracles was the conversion stories. The stories of people coming to faith in sometimes miraculous ways. Sometimes in very slow and gradual and explorative in ways that, that were very gradual and iterative. And, but in, in, at other times, um, in ways that, that, that were just mind-blowingly amazing how people came to faith in Jesus Christ. John Piper, the American pastor, and writer, theologian, says Christian conversion is a supernatural, radical thing. The heart is changed and the evidence of it is not just new decisions but new affections and new feelings. And so I, I pulled out a book off my shelf this week. Uh, I think it's called The Faith by, Ch- uh, by Charles Colson of Prison Fellowship. He died last year, I believe, or the year before. It's, I, I read about him that Chuck Colson was the special counsel to Richard Nixon. For those of you who have heard of Richard Nixon, one of the infamous president's men, the US president, who took political ambition to new heights and who eventually fell spectacularly in that historical debacle and long national nightmare known as the Watergate scandal. Some of you are too young to remember it. You may have heard of it. It was a very big thing in the States at that time with the impeachment and removal of Nixon as the president of the United States. Chuck was one of his right-hand men, Chuck was called the White House Hatchet Man and was said to be willing to run over his grandmother to get the president re-elected. But just before everything fell apart in public, things were falling apart privately for this former Marine. Something in him began to wonder about God. And in the summer of 1973, over the course of a few weeks, he was dramatically converted But when word got out that 
the take-no-prisoners tough guy had become a born-again Christian, the news media had a field day. No one could believe this nasty political operative had really changed his stripes. He was lampooned in political cartoons on late-night television, but it really had happened. In fact, Chuck was so serious about his newfound faith that he refused to take a plea bargain to avoid prison because he would have to lie. His lawyer thought he was out of his mind to refuse it, but Chuck would not back down, and so he went to prison. After he got out of prison, he decided that God wanted him to spend the rest of his life helping prisoners, which is what he did. He founded the prison fellowship, and that's what he did for the rest of his life preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to prisoners all over the world, seeing many thousands of of people at the fringes of society saved and coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. This former political shark and operative, converted miraculously to Christian faith, changed the course of his life and the rest of his life um, until he died just recently. I remember a man, when I was at university in Nottingham, there was a man that I knew that his name was Eddie. His wife came to our church. He didn't come to the church. Eddie was an alcoholic. Eddie used to beat up his wife. Eddie was a nasty, nasty piece of work. And uh, we and others, the pastor at that time, had dealings with Louise, his wife, who was a Christian woman, prayed and prayed and prayed for Eddie to come to know Jesus. And it just never happened. It never seemed to happen. He never changed. And, and one day, uh, uh, the pastor, David, preached and, and prayed for him. And something was happening in Eddie's life. But he ended up in prison. He ended up in a prison cell with the lifestyle that he was leading. And he had an encounter in that prison cell with, with God. An encounter that was so dramatic that he fell down on his knees and he gave his life in that cell to Christ. He came out of prison He turned away from alcohol. He was uh, delivered immediately from alcoholism and never went back to it. And if you could see the change in Eddie's life, it was like a different person. I met him last year. He he and his wife came down to Plymouth. I hadn't seen him for 15 years. A completely, completely changed man. In love with his wife, both serving God, Uh, both in love with God, changed from the inside out. A supernatural conversion that changed his life. Last year, I read the book, Unbroken. I don't know if any of you have come across it, by Laura Hillenbrand. It's one of the best books I've read in a long time. I recommend it. It's come out, of course, as a movie, uh, directed by Angelina Jolie, um, by the same title, Unbroken. It's the story of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini, in the 30s, ran uh, as an Olympic runner for the States in Berlin. Uh, A promising athletic track career ahead of him. And the war came along. He became a navigator, became uh, a flu in in bombers. And uh, and the story of the book, Unbroken, is his life story. if one element of his life story were true, it would be amazing enough. But each element of this story, as it unravels, is an amazing story. He gets shot down. Uh, I doesn't get shot down. His, his plane crashes. And um, he's uh, in, in the ocean for 50 plus days. Survives that. Is taken to a J- 
Japanese prison camp is beaten savagely by a prison warden called the Bird who was particularly sadistic and had it out for this former athlete, an Olympian, and beat him almost to death. And uh, he came through it. He survived. Somehow he survived the plane crash. Somehow he survived the raft for 50 plus days. Somehow he survived the Japanese internment. And then after the Second World War, he got married. And then he turned inward. He turned to alcohol. He had probably what we would recognize as post-traumatic stress disorder. And his life unraveled. He drank and drank and drank. His marriage unraveled. And his life was falling to pieces after everything that he had survived. After everything he'd been through, it seemed that he'd survived all of that and it was all going to founder now in his alcoholism and in this imminent divorce from his wife. And one day his wife said, there's this man coming to California. His name is Billy Graham. This was the 50s. And I want you to come and listen to me. He said, I'm not going listening to no Christian preacher. And so anyway, through a series of events, his wife dragged him to listen to Billy Graham. And uh, he was walking out the door the third night that he'd been to listen to Billy Graham, walking out the door, he wanted nothing to do with this. And the words that he'd spoken on the raft, in the ocean, God, if you get me out of this, I will give the rest of my life to you, came back to him as he's walking out the door of listening to Billy Graham. He said, something took me, spanned me around, and I started walking to the front of that meeting, and something happened as I started walking towards the front of that meeting, I just there and then uh, something was unleashed inside of me. I gave my life to Christ that night. Every night uh, from after the Second World War, he had had nightmares about the bird. He was eaten with hatred for this man that had tortured him and persecuted him. From that night of giving his life to Christ, he never had another nightmare. He never uh, had an, any more trouble with, with this man. He went and sought to forgive him uh, in Japan. And for the rest of his life, he died in July of last year, as I was reading the book. He died in his 90s. He gave the rest of his life to serving God and to telling people his story and about his faith in Jesus Christ. A life utterly transformed by the supernatural power of God. Why do Christians believe in the supernatural? It's because Jesus has changed and transformed our lives from the inside out. It's the greatest supernatural event that can ever happen. More than turning water into wine, it's changing a human heart to come to know and love Jesus Christ as our Saviour and Lord. There are four reasons there that I've listed why Christians believe in the supernatural. As I say, there could be more. But we have a faith that is founded on the supernatural, on creation and cause and the belief in a Creator God behind this world in which we live. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ without which we would have no faith. And uh, we would be needing to be pitted. The second reason that we believe in the supernatural is because we would have an historically inaccurate rendition of what Christianity is if we took all of the supernatural out of the Bible, out of Christian history, out of the birth of the church, out of the last 2,000 years of what has happened on this earth. The third reason that we believe in the supernatural is that it's absolutely essential to the salvation that is offered by Christ. And the fourth reason that we believe in the supernatural is because we have experienced it ourselves. 
And we've seen it in the changed lives of many people. Just as my wife and I cry every time a baby is born on call the midwife, the Bible says that heaven rejoices every time one sinner repents. Every time somebody is born of the Spirit of God. Every time someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. The heavens rejoice. And tonight, I would like to just give the opportunity. I don't know who's here. I don't know you as a congregation. I don't know you individually, but God knows you. And I would like to give you the opportunity to experience the supernatural God that I'm talking about. I don't care where you are on the scale of faith. Maybe you're an agnostic. Maybe you you would count yourself towards the atheistic end. Maybe you're searching. But you can find Christ if you open your heart to him and your life to him tonight. And he can change you from the inside out. Forgive you of everything you've ever done wrong. Give you a new life, a new perspective, a different worldview, eternal hope. This is a supernatural event. It's a supernatural birth. The Bible calls it being born from above or being born of the Spirit. Jesus said there are two ways that you can be born. You can be born of water. You can be born out of your mother's womb. But you can also be born spiritually and that is a a spiritual event. It's a supernatural event. It's when we become Christians is what happens. The Spirit of God comes to live in us. I wonder if there's anyone here tonight that would like to come to that kind of saving faith. In a few moments, I'm going to pray for you and for us. And for those of us who look to a supernatural God who does change lives and changes circumstances that we face, God is a mighty God, a God of the impossible, a God who still can reach into creation and into our lives. I would like to pray for each one of us tonight. And then I'm going to invite the band to come back and to lead us in some songs of worship. And I believe there's a prayer team here that will be available on the front row. And if you would like prayer during this time of worship, then they will be available to pray with you, whether it's to give your life to Christ or whether it's to ask for prayer for something else tonight, then there will be people here available, I'm told, at the front to pray for you and with you. But shall we close our eyes now and pray together? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God. Thank you that you are here by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the power of God to change lives. The supernatural power of God to change a human heart and to gift faith. I pray for any individual here tonight that may be searching may be looking I pray God that they would know that they would experience this supernatural God of whom we speak of the saving faith in Jesus Christ the promise of eternal life I pray Holy Spirit that you would touch each heart tonight through these words that have been spoken through your word through your spirit And I pray that anyone that is looking for you may find you tonight in this place and have their heart and their life transformed. I thank you, God, that you are 
awesome and almighty and all-powerful, all-present. And I pray uh, for each one of us here, Lord. I pray for your continued supernatural involvement in our lives. Lord, whatever we are facing, whatever circumstances confront us internally and externally, we pray, Lord God, to the God of the universe, the God who created us, the God of all eternity, the God for whom nothing is impossible. We pray to you tonight, Lord, and we ask you to help us and to answer us when we call on your name and to reach down and save us. So, Lord, I pray as we stand now and worship you in song, I pray for the ongoing work of your Spirit. I pray if there are those that would like prayer, that they might receive this evening a touch from you. We thank you, God, for your presence with us in this place of this gathered people, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.